guys. Thank you for joining Late Night with White. I'm your host, Sophia White. And, um, boy, it's been one of those weeks. School is starting to gear back up for many of us. Uh, I know some of my cohorts in other places just got out. And so they're enjoying their first couple of weeks of freedom. And my freedom is slowly winding down. But it gave me cause to think tonight about, um fantasy you know how powerful our brains are in the construction of fantasy and um i think about this in in relation to how we build our lives you know um people search for the ideal partner the ideal house car job friends vacation spot and i don't and anytime those things are assailed, um, there's this either trying to hold on to the fantasy or an unbelievable breakdown when it's confronted with reality. And I'm thinking like on the hyperbolic end of it, like uh, when a marriage goes sour and um, a partner kills another, kills their partner basically or annihilates the family because they want out they don't want to start all over again um or they do want to start all over again but not economically devastated by divorce and you know um things like that what happens when a person doesn't make the cheerleading squad and their mom hires a hit person to take out the head cheerleader um what happens when a wife is aggrieved that her husband has found somebody else and, um, you know, seeks to murder the new wife or, um, both husband and the wife. I just, I just started thinking about how tightly we hold on to the ideal. And if you grew up like I did, there wasn't, I mean, people worked, they married, but there wasn't like the picket fence and the uh, I know my mom would talk about the Beavers, you know, as a little girl for her, they were the ideal family. Um, I guess for me, maybe the Brady Bunch, the, the Waltons, the uh, Little House on the Perry family, but none of that was real, like none of that embedded into my head as um, something to, to work toward, I guess. Um, but for a lot of people, it is. Like the ideals of family or church or uh, relationships are, are deeply embedded in a way that's, um, to me, from my POV, from where I'm standing, you remember this is all relative to where we're standing. And so from where I'm standing, it's not grounded in any like re- reality. And when you talk to people and have those frank conversations about their lives you begin to see how tightly they're holding on to outdated, outmoded impossible fantasies I thought tonight how hard it must be when that fantasy becomes um, when you see it for what it is when you see it but just a construct like somebody thought this is a good idea 
So when you begin to study, analyze, do some numbers on it, it's all just smoke and mirrors. And I know some people say, well, you know, Cynthia, you trend, you trend dark. You've already imagined the worst and um, because that's where your mind is. And it, it's a negative estimate that's always coming for you. And that's not true. I, I, I'm very idealistic. Maybe to the point of um, overly so. But I also have to live in reality. So while I'm heavily idealistic about like um, my religious beliefs, my belief in America, you know, capital A, all those letters capitalized, truth and justice, um, I still have to live in a world that is a construct, right? doesn't mean that I, I, I lose faith in it. I'm very, I'm very hopeful. I think we need ideals. We need fantasy because that gives us hope for the best that we can, that we can be. So there's nothing wrong with that. I just wonder if for some people who cannot or do not straddle that fence well, like, is there a way, um, to kind of have a toe in both realms without getting swept away. And I just feel like sometimes people um, would not allow themselves to see reality when it begins to interfere with the fantasy, with the self-made construct. Um, let me give you an anecdote. So I had a friend, I worked with this person. She was okay. We weren't really close. We didn't trade secrets. But, you know, somebody I knew Quite a, quite a number of years, we just became, you know, Facebook friends after the work, working together sees. And um, this is during the um, beginning of COVID and, of course, the, um, the downward spiral of the Trump administration. She wrote to me and said, I don't understand. I, I realize I'm blessed and, you know, I, I haven't had to lose a job. I, I don't understand why, why people have to be negative. And I wrote her back and I said, I'm glad for you that you haven't lost a job and um, things are still kind of like on the straight path for you. But for a lot of people, that's not true. It's not real anymore for them. And while things are good for you, I don't see any harm in acknowledging that it's not good for everyone. And so, um, you know, a few more posts and I just, decided I I can't deal with this person like I there you know some um open racism um and some other things and I was just like "Ah, I'm not gonna uh, open up my my social media and deal with this person's uh belligerence and ignorance and um often overt racism I'm just not gonna deal with that you know um and I'm sure that people who are like I'm not gonna deal with Cynthia's libtard um, cray cray rights for everybody whatever BLM anti-police you know whatever because everything is relative to where we're standing right everything is relative to where we're standing and all the privileges and um, lack of privilege thereof so but then you read about American tragedies you know person who's done everything the right way married first kids later good job 
all those things that we account as um, doing, you know, having, being an American, being successful, and then how quickly that is eroded by um, unfaithfulness, loss of a job, terminal sickness, curable sickness, but devastating financially. And I just wonder tonight about the cost sometimes of holding on to the fantasy. Like, in a sense, we're all sipping the Kool-Aid to a certain degree. We all believe things that we know, if we tore them apart, don't hold water. But they're important to us. They're important to our belief systems, our totems, you know, they're important to how we view ourselves. And so we can't easily let it go. We can't just shirk off the fantasy and say, ah, you know, because we spend a whole lot of time building them. Our grandparents, our parents, our forefathers, our foremothers, our religious, um, you know, edicts have all instructed and constructed for us a mindset. And so what I think now when I hear the debates about like CRT, critical race theory, and feminism, and transgender, and I mean, you name it. And it really has to do with the confrontation between one person's fantasy of the way things ought to be and maybe fantasy is not a good word, maybe ideal, their idealism about where things ought to be and another person's reality about the way things are, right? Because to live ideally is a privilege. To live ideally is a privilege. To not have to face stark demands between right and wrong, between ethics and unethical, between just and unjust. If you don't have to make those kind of decisions, um, then you're you're pretty privileged. You, you've been in a pretty high and exalted status. And so you see something on the news to break through that prism of, of fantasy and ideal it's going to have to be pretty shocking and so I think a lot of people in America black and white rich and poor when they saw um, that eight minute clip of Floyd it was like it was um, an uncompromising break in the fabric of ideals and reality somehow if you lived under Trump you thought that his racist words didn't have any real effect he's just like any other you know politician if you felt like every other black person before floyd and even floyd himself deserved to be killed because you know they were acting out of pocket they were somehow doing something egregious or unlawful and it you know it, it brought them in contact with cops i think at that moment and we've had subsequent moments since floyd unfortunately there's a breakdown in the fabric of the ideal and then truth will out. Like, oh, this isn't how it works for my black friends or for my white friends or my uh, Latinx friends or my uh, gay friends or my transgender friends. Um, the way things work for me, ideally, don't work for them. 
so I'm just thinking about um, the horror sometimes that occurs at that schism point at that fine line between when things just really go wrong and so like a lot of you I listen to true crime podcasts and um, I'm a fan of horror movies and um, everything dark but real life when you think about Watts you know the guy who um, killed his wife and put his baby girls in you know vats of oil basically when you think about family annihilators when you think about um, you know an affair leading to death it's just like wow what we, we always ask the same question why didn't he just walk away why didn't he just ask for a divorce why didn't she just move to another city where he couldn't follow her and, you know, take her life? Because it was apparent from the beginning of the relationship he wasn't going to ever be able to let her go. And what's odd about that, when you listen to family and friends who know these people, oh, and, you know, God forbid, even serial killers, right? They were so quiet. Oh, they seemed perfect. But the little girls were so happy. She was... And then after digging and digging and digging, you find, wait, 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 wait. He was known to be promiscuous. He wasn't happy. He was having an affair. She was um, frequently involved with other men. And we're all, we all pretend to be shocked by it. But I think the reality is we all pretend to live in a fantasy where these things are outliers, where they're not real. And in reality, shite happens, right? Shitty things happen for um, lots of reasons, and they happen quite frequently. The fact that they're not happening to us don't make them less real. So it's kind of like um, the fairy tales talk to when students ask you well why do we have so many stories about abandoned children well starvation used to be a really well in some countries it used to be a real thing you know where parents had to decide you know we can't take care of these kids there used to be things called debtors prisons where if you couldn't pay your debts you went to prison you and your family your kids or you had to sell your kids off as workers um, for a time until the debt was repaid. You read Dickens, and it's not that long ago, um, you come face to face with the reality of poverty in, um, in England at that time. And it's true, and is true now around the world where kids are sold to pay off debts. How many missing girls do we have? who are sold um, into sexual slavery or physical labor slavery to um, help their families survive. How many young boys, I'm sorry, are sold to pedophiles? So yeah, (laughs) this is kind of a ramble. But for every horrific, grim story, for every Stephen King novel, for every book like Toni Morrison's Beloved, there's a causal dark story behind it because human reality is grim human reality 
versus the fantasy is stark and ugly and malnourished, right? I mean, we think about um, Cinderella getting her, her happy ending, but she basically became a prisoner in her house after her parents um, died. And this happened to a lot of kids. This, is, this wasn't something that, um, you know, was rare and, um, you know, kids would they would have understood a Cinderella story. Definitely. So, this brings me to mind to thinking about our fantasies, our idea, our ideals of place and being, and then the stark realities that we're all easily victimized. Our closely held worlds can easily be ripped apart. And so if you're like me, like horror, you're confronting that. You're confronting the killer. You're confronting the, the menacing car. Um, people who watch Final Destination remember that truck scene with the logs, right? And anytime I get behind a truck like that, I'm moving over. Because that's embedded in my brain, right? That one of those logs could come flipping on a highway and boom, it's over. Right? And we joke about it. There are memes about it. But... How many times has it happened that you head out one day or people head out and the highways become a death trap? You know, um, that's what make people like Stephen King and Kuntz and um, and really, you know, so, so-called highbrow writers. You think about Frank McCourt's Tiz, um, his autobiographical work and how horrible and bleak, but real. It's a very thin line between our fantasy and our reality. And if you led and get to lead an ideal life in any facet, like you have a great husband, appreciate that. Because that's somebody, you know, who doesn't have a, a good spouse, a husband or a wife. If your kids are um, healthy and so-called normal, appreciate that because there are people dealing with um, you know, kids on the spectrum or kids with disabilities or kids who are struggling with mental illness, depression, the same thing that adults struggle with, right? So, um, that's where my mind is today. I don't know. <laughs> Went to a really dark place. But that's what happens. Um, and so, I, you know, we all should be asking ourselves when we say, well, how could they or why would they or that it may not be our reality but it's definitely somebody else's the same way that somebody would look at our life and say why in the world would she do that it's all relative on where we are I guess and um, when you start having cracks in your fantasy world it's painful Right? Especially if you built a lot of who you are upon it. And so we need to be sympathetic with people who are, to some extent, not to a large extent, to, to some extent, with people who are being confronted with the fact that their fantasy, their ideal life, doesn't exist for a lot of other people. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about Branson, who came very close to getting to space and the money and time and resources that took and you know it's taking a lot of flack for um 
for doing so when the world is literally on fire. But guys, his reality, his fantasy, his ideal life, these things don't come into play. Like, until, like, I guess corpses pile up on his door or something major cataclysmic happens that uh, influences and affects him, meh, he's going to do him. And we're all like that to a certain extent. We shouldn't be so um, judgy about a about a Branson. We all have categories of wanton um, fantasy and fantasies that we're not going to let go of or allow to be intruded upon. So, I don't know, weird tonight, but it's not going to always make sense late at night. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments and your commentaries. In the show notes, you will find my email, which is latenightwithwhite at gmail.com. You'll find ways to support. You'll find uh, information about this particular episode. Thank you and have a great night.